So we're going to open to Mark chapter 9. You can open there so long. Holy Spirit, we love your word, and uh, we just thank you that you lead us. Come and show us truths, hidden truths that have, we haven't seen or received yet, Lord. Change us, mold us, shape us in Jesus' name. Okay. We're going to read from Mark chapter 9. Uh, if you read a little bit before that, you'll see that they've just had this moment where Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter pipes up, and he says, you are the Son of God, the Christ, the, the, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. So we know this is divine revelation. And he says to him that on this revelation, on this rock, I will build my church. Uh, this, that's the context of that conversation. He also then talks about if anyone wishes to follow me. This is just before Mark chapter 8. If anyone wishes to follow me uh, as my disciple, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And uh, so you can read the rest of that. It's really powerful. That's the context now. Now, six days after this, we're going to read Mark chapter 9 from verse 2. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, and he led them up on a high mountain by themselves. So Jesus takes three of his disciples, and he goes hiking. And he hikes up a mountain. And at the top of this mountain, it says, yeah, he was transfigured, changed in form before them, and began, I'm reading from the Amplified, and began to shine brightly with divine glory. And his clothes became radiant and dazzling, intensely white, as no laundry on earth can whiten them. So this is a, let's just frame this moment. So Jesus takes three of his disciples, they hike up a mountain, they get to the top of a mountain, and all of a sudden, Jesus begins to change form. And what we see is a glimpse, and the disciples are seeing a glimpse of what we see Jesus to be in Revelations. So the, the full expression of Jesus starts to be revealed. And we begin to see his dazzling white, and the radiance of his glory uh, begins to manifest before their eyes. And then the next thing happens, verse 4, Elijah appeared to them along with Moses, and they were having a conversation with Jesus. This is pretty wild, right? I don't know about you guys, but I would be freaking out in this moment. Okay, let's just get real. You know, sometimes we read this like fairy tale stories. Can you just imagine going up hiking with Jesus, and the next thing, you're in Shekinah glory. Jesus has, doesn't even look fully human anymore. He's just radiant, the light of God. And then Elijah and Moses arrive, and you're thinking, this must be the end. We're, we're getting beamed up. This is an amazing moment, right? Verse 5, Peter responded. I love Peter. I, I, I relate to Peter. Peter responded and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. I agree with that. Come on, Peter. I think it is a good place to be. Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three sacred tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. I love verse 6. For he did not really know what to say because they were terrified and stunned by the miraculous sight. I get Peter. I'm like, you know, you get those people who in the situations where you don't know what to do, they just step back. I'm not one of those people. In the situations where you don't know what to do, I'm the guy who says something awkward or it's just like. So I relate to Peter. So here he is seeing this incredible moment and he doesn't really know what to do, what to say. He's shocked. And so what he does is he goes on his default. And just think about this. You are seeing the beauty and the majesty of Jesus, what he's going to be like when he's resurrected. And then Elijah and Moses come down, and the Shekinah glory is here. And what Peter's thinking is, this is the most incredible, 
amazing moment of my life. I don't ever want to leave this. I don't ever want to not see this again. So let's build tents so they can stay in these tents. We can go and call everybody else, and let's all come to the mountain and behold this because this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Doesn't that make sense? Like, that's the default of, the, of humans. Let's contain this moment. Let's make sure that we can have this forever so that we don't lose this, this beautiful moment, and let's go and, and, and gather everybody and bring them up, right? That's how I, I see this. So it's real interesting, and, and I love that he didn't really know what to say. Verse 7 grabs me. This is the response of God to Peter's default thinking, okay? So Peter has a suggestion. Let's build tents. This is what God does, verse 7. Then a cloud formed overshadowing them, and a voice came out of the cloud. So God's response here to Peter's man-made idea of tents is the Shekinah glory overshadows them, and the voice of God speaks to Peter. Now we know when Jesus was baptized that he spoke to Jesus. Now he's going to say the same words he said to Jesus when Jesus was baptized, but he's saying it to the disciples. And he says this, This is my beloved son. Listen to him and obey him. That's the same word that Saul taught us about a while ago. That it's not just listen, it's shama, right? Shamai, which it's not just listen, it's listen and obey. Okay. So this is my beloved son. Listen to him and obey him. I love verse 8. Suddenly they looked around and no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus alone. I was reading this last night, and this just captured my heart. Let's, let's build on this. So let's quickly go to, let's go to 1 Kings. Chapter 19. Let's just talk a little bit about Elijah and Moses here, okay? So we know that Moses was a representation of the law, the covenant of the law. Elijah was a representation of the prophets. And we know that Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets. So we see this beautiful picture where the the one who represents the law, the one who represents the prophets, they come and, and there's this thing of listen to Jesus. He's the one, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him, obey him. So we see the father's pointing us to the son and he's saying everything is completed and fulfilled in Jesus. Okay, we know that. So I love that, and I don't want to take anything away from that. That's the point of this picture. But I just want to lean a little bit deeper into these two men, Moses and Elijah, because there's a little bit more. So look at Elijah, 1 Kings chapter 19 from verse 9. Okay, so this is now after Elijah has destroyed 400 prophets of Baal. Uh, Jezebel wants to kill him, and he's pretty afraid. So he's, he's running. Okay, this is, this is the old covenant under the covenant of the law. So you understand, this is not in the new covenant that Jesus has brought us. This is the old covenant. So verse 9, there he came to a cave and spent the night in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, uh, God of, uh, for the Lord God of hosts. For the sons of Israel have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, only I, am left, and they seek to take away my life. So he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord was passing by, and a great and powerful wind was tearing out the mountains and breaking the rocks in pieces before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle blowing. When Elijah heard the sound, 
he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the sons of Israel have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, only I am left and they seek to take away my life. Then the Lord said to him, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael as king over Aram and you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel and anoint Elisha, the son of Shaphat, um, as prophet in your place. So now we see this beautiful moment. Here's Elijah, representation of the prophets. He's living under an old covenant, but there's something that's very clear that governs his life, and it's the word of the Lord. It's the voice of God. And so here we see, even under a covenant that hasn't given him divine access to the Spirit of God within him, he's still governed by the voice of God in his life. And so even in fear, he he goes to, to find a space where he can encounter and hear from the Lord. And it's amazing, listen to this, it's amazing that The word of the Lord comes to him, says, what are you doing here? Elijah replies, and then the Lord says to him, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. Stand at the entrance of the cave. And then we see a whole bunch of things happen. God's nodded, and then he's in the silent or the the soft blowing, the gentle blowing, the whisper. And then the presence of the Lord is there, and the word of the Lord comes. Already we can see here that Elijah understands something about following the presence of the Lord and being led by his voice. Are you with me? He heard the word of the Lord, but God still tells him to go and stand at the entrance of the cave, and he's waiting to recognize the presence of the Lord. And when the presence of the Lord is there, the voice of the Lord speaks to him and commissions him as to what to do next. So hear this in the context of what it means to be people of his presence, okay? Let's go to Exodus chapter 33. Everybody okay? Okay. Exodus chapter 33, and we'll just read from verse 7. Now Moses used to take his own tent and pitch it outside the camp, far away from the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever, listen to this, whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise and stand, each at his tent door, and look at Moses until he entered the tent. How's that for, for honoring and respecting the presence of the Lord, even under a covenant of the law, that Moses would get up and go to the tent of meeting and all the people of Israel would come and stand and watch him all the way until he would enter into the tent. And then listen to what happens. Whenever Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the doorway of the tent and the Lord would speak with Moses. When all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tent, at the tent door, all the people would rise and worship each at his tent door. And so the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses returned to the camp, his attendant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Are you seeing that even under the covenant of the law, even Elijah representation of the prophets, we're seeing something about this longing and this desire for the presence of the Lord, but not just a desire to be touched by it, but actually being governed by His presence. So you can see it's not just about hearing the word of the Lord. It's about the presence of the Lord, being in His presence, receiving the word of the Lord, and being commissioned from that place. Is this making sense? Are you with me? Okay. So we know further, further on in this uh, chapter, we, we see that 
Moses is crying out to the Lord and basically saying, well, the Lord says to Moses, you can go into the promised land. You can have it all. I'll even make a way for you. I'll get rid of all your enemies and you can go in. And Moses says, there's no ways we're going without your presence. How will they know? He even says, how will they know that we're your people if you don't go with us? How will they know that we have favor in your sight if you're not with us? Presence, value for his presence, okay? Let's go back to Mark chapter 9. So there's these two little snippets that we've just looked at there um, with, with Elijah and Moses. And so now, these two guys have arrived on this mountaintop with Jesus, with three of the disciples. And then the most significant thing happens. So Peter responds and he goes, let's build the tents, let's contain his presence, let's make sure that this never changes. And then the Shekinah glory overshadows them. And he says, this is my beloved son, listen to him and obey him. So God's making a point here, and he's showing three of the disciples, the closest, the ones that Jesus trusted the most. He's showing them what's prepared after the resurrection of Jesus. He's, he's giving them a glimpse and a picture as to the master plan of God and what he's beginning to reveal, okay? Because it's interesting that just after this, when they're coming down, Jesus actually says to them that you, you must not mention this until after I've been raised from the dead. And it says that the disciples actually questioned this among themselves, and, and they were faithful not to share it, but they were questioning, what does he mean when he's raised from the dead? So they were entrusted with a, a beautiful moment, a, a picture that the Lord was revealing to the disciples and, and to us in, the, in his word of what was to come after he was raised from the dead. And it has to do with his presence, and it has to do with everything of the Father's heart being found in Jesus. That's what we mean when we say the fulfillment of the law and the fulfillment of the prophets. It's all in Jesus. I'm going to go to another scripture now that's going to bring this in a little bit better. But I love verse 8. Suddenly they looked around and no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus alone. All the covenants, all the prophetic words, everything that's happened all the way up to this point is now being wrapped up in the Son of God. And the disciples are having this encounter where our default is, okay, let's just frame these moments. Let's put these tents up. Let's contain this. And he's saying, hold on a second. This is not to be contained. Listen and obey because everything that I am will be found in my son. And where he is, my presence will be. And then he begins to, we know further on, that the revealing here is that Jesus is going to be in us through his spirit. And so the presence of God is going to be in his people. And the way of his presence is to listen and obey reason why I'm sharing this is because we're called to be a people of His presence, but we've got to be real careful that we don't get so comfortable with learning new language that we are adding to our lives, but not understanding the lifestyle of His presence, the lifestyle of being governed by Him, and actually that what it requires of us is to stop going back to our defaults of what we think we know and to listen and obey. And to know that everything that we are in, in regards to His presence is found in His Son. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. So we know that, that God's not changing the subject from Jesus. He never does. So why do we? So we have to understand what, what's happening in this moment is he's, he's beginning to reveal, He's unveiling the master plan of God, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, if you haven't listened a couple of weeks ago, I, I just basically preached the gospel and I wish I could do that again to build up to this, but go back and listen to that and understand the master plan of God is Christ in you. That God's not looking for your attempt at Christ-likeness. He's looking for the manifestation of His Christ in you. That's why He says, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen and obey Him. Listen to Him. Obey Him. He's the one. 
This moment that you're seeing, the Shekinah glory, it's wrapped up in the sun. Oh, Lord, help me to communicate this this morning. So, so I, I feel this. I feel we've got to be careful. Um, the momentum that's on us as we, as we are choosing to value His presence above everything else as a church, as we're stepping into that, we're pursuing Jesus, we're going after Him with everything that we have. We have to be careful that in the, the steps that we're taking that are unknown, it's new. We've never been here before. So we're taking these steps. We've got to be careful that we don't, out of fear and insecurity, go back to default when we're shocked and astonished and don't know what to say. See, it's easy. You'll understand this in the context of a meeting because it's like we know if you lead a meeting like this, majority of the time you have no idea what to do because God's here. So you're just going, Lord, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? You're trying to follow that. But that's not just for meetings. It's actually for our lives. We've got to be so intentional now as we're learning to carry and host His presence that as we are taking steps into this new era of the kingdom, into a new expression, a new revelation and way of His presence in our lives, that we are not falling back on defaults. Because you see, Peter, his understanding of the glory was a tent like Moses had. And so it was, let's put it in a tent and yes, it might be just one location, but at least we can all watch somebody go into the tent and see the cloud descend. And that was his understanding. But God's actually trying to explain to them, that was just a shadow. I've put my glory in the sun, and I'm going to put my son in you. That's why he's here. And so you're going to be walking and living and abiding in the Shekinah glory of God 24-7, 365, regardless of whether you feel it or not. He is in you, and his glory is there. And you're going to spend eternity learning how to be one with Him. And the way in which we do that is by listening and obeying. I know it's so simple, but this is the gospel. We get lost in the, the wonder of His anointing and His presence and the environment, and we, we try to find ways to understand this and navigate this and find ways to keep it and protect it. And the reality is, my mom said this to me, it's so profound. It's not our job to guard the glory or to guard His presence. The glory guards us. So our job is to abide. Our job is to listen and to obey. I, I, honestly, I felt this even just in preparing for today that the Lord's, He's really saying to us in any aspect of ministry, whether you're ministering to your friend, your colleague at work, uh, your, your spouse, your children, or whether you ever stand at a pulpit and minister, we have to be slow to speak and quick to listen because as we're moving in His presence, it's not about having something to say, having the next revelation, having the next uh, fancy YouTube video that you've watched and rocked your world or whatever. No, the reality is this. We need to listen and we need to obey. Because when we do that, what we're doing is we're cultivating a life that knows how to steward His Shekinah glory and His presence. And we see that in Peter, that he has a taste of something here. And he steps into the fruition and fulfillment of that when he's filled with Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. Because who stands up? Peter stands up because the, the dots are joining and he's beginning to realize, oh, whoa, now that I've got him in me, I'm realizing what he, what he was actually doing and, and revealing to me on the, on the mount with the transfiguration. He was showing me that everything of God would be found in Jesus and Jesus is now found in me and I'm found in him. I'm called to be a, a steward of his presence. I'm, I'm called to be a carrier of his glory. But the manner in which I do that is simply by listening and obeying. Um, let's... Let's jump all the way to, uh, to Peter. Is this okay? I, I really I had such fear and trembling <laughs> preparing this because it's like quite abstract. <laughs> 
2 Peter chapter 1 from verse 16. This is so important. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories or myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Stop. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories or myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I will let, that, let the word say it. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he was invested with honor, the radiance of the Shekinah glory from God the Father, such a voice as this came to him from the majestic glory. I love that amplified. It says, in the bright cloud that overshadowed him, saying, this is my son, my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased and delighted. And we actually heard this voice made from heaven when we were together with him on the holy mountain. Listen to this, verse 19. So we have the prophetic word made more certain. Just stop there for a second. What is he talking about? The law and the prophets all pointed to Jesus. The prophets were giving prophetic word after prophetic word, pointing to Jesus, pointing to the one who would embody all that God is and be found in you. That's what all the words are pointing to, right? And so he's saying, we have this prophetic word through the prophets and the law made more certain because we were eyewitnesses of his glory. We saw him on that mountain, okay? But what's beautiful is he then says this, you do well to pay close attention to it as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and light breaks through the gloom and the morning star arises in your hearts. Whoa. Doesn't that just open this up? So listen to this. So he's saying, Moses, covenant of the law, Elijah, the prophets, Jesus is the fulfillment of all of that. The Shekinah glory overshadows them and says, this is my beloved son. Everything that I am is found in him. Listen to him. Obey him. They come off of that and Jesus says, don't say anything about this until after I'm raised from the dead. Why is he saying that? Because you've just seen the master plan of God that will be revealed to mankind after I'm raised from the dead when my very spirit will fill mankind. And now not, you won't have to build tents to house this. You will be the tents. You will be walking, carrying the divine presence of God. Church will no longer be about you trying to find the tent that has His glory. You have His glory. And when you come together, every single one of us carrying, stewarding the presence of God, listening to Him, obeying Him, walking in surrender, when we come together, we create oasis, oasises, uh, an oasis of, of, of heaven on the earth that becomes a womb that begins to birth the dream of God on the earth. Just like Jesus for three years walks around bringing the kingdom of heaven on the earth, he's saying, my design is for you to do the very same thing. Not just one, not just two, a whole body of people that will be like Jesus on the earth. And that's called my church. And so when we have these gatherings, we're going to come into the Shekinah glory that's released from you and through you and to you from each other. And as you begin to do that, Jesus is glorified. And the altar is being built so that Jesus can be enthroned in every heart, in every life, in every community. And as the family comes together, the church is beginning to bring the kingdom of God everywhere that we go. Are you seeing the master plan? But how powerful is this? The prophetic word, the covenant of the law, the prophets, it all points to Jesus Christ. And he's saying, as eyewitnesses were telling you, this prophetic word is confirmed. It's made certain. But you will do well to pay close attention to it. Why? As to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and light breaks through the gloom. And the morning star rises in your hearts. 
See, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Where does glory start? In you. You know, Jesus wants to change the world around you. He wants to change the world through you. But he first wants to change you. So we need to be fixated and obsessed and filled with this revelation of Jesus Christ. Because when we do that, it's like a lamp shining in the darkness. That actually the revelation of Jesus is illuminating and enlightening my life, my heart. There is no darkness to be found in me when I am fixated on the revelation of Jesus Christ. The manifestation of his light and of his life is filling me, possessing me, so that I begin to shine like him. And what's so beautiful is that I love the explanation, until the day dawns, until the day of his face dawns in my life, I begin to look like him, not my attempt to be like him. I begin to look like him because the light of his face is shining in my life. And light breaks through the gloom. A people that are fixated on him, that are possessed and filled with the revelation of Jesus Christ, there is no gloom in them. There is no gloom in the body of Christ because light is breaking through, piercing through the gloom. There is no heaviness. There is no... Ah, And the morning star arises in your hearts. I've been, I've been so taken by that statement, that the morning star, Jesus, like the sun rising, faithful to touch every part of this planet, the morning star rises in your hearts and the light of his presence, the light of his face, the light of his life begins to enlighten and illuminate your entire being, your mind, your thoughts, your spirit, your emotions, everything that you are. This is the Christian life. See, we've got to be so careful that we don't get so obsessed with ministry, whether you're on the receiving end or actually ministering. We get so obsessed with ministry that we forget the great minister of our souls, minister to our souls. We've got to be careful that we don't become so obsessed with ministry that we forget about the people that we're actually called to minister to. And that what they need is the morning star arising in their hearts, not your great gifting or your influence. The reason why I'm saying this, guys, is because we're after being a people of His presence. And to be a people of His presence is not about being a people that carry the language of Jesus is everything. There's a lot of that. We all, I promise you, any church you go to will say that. And it's beautiful. And I'm, I'm, so, I'm so in love with the church. I'm so in love with the bride of Christ. And I love what God's doing in the church. But I, right here, this is where I've been called to build and you've been called to build. And we know without a shadow of a doubt that he has called us to truly be a people of his presence, that carry his presence. And what that means is we have to be prepared to let go of what we know and take a hold of what he knows. That we have to let go of, of our comforts and let go of the things that we thought was the way to do it and take a hold of the morning star and let him arise in our hearts so that we can begin to look like him. And so things change all the time, and that's why we have to be able to flow with the Holy Spirit in our lives, in our meetings and gatherings as a church, in our ministries, everything that we do, we have to flow with Him because the reality is we are only called to listen and to obey. And when He says that we have the ministry of reconciliation, how can you reconcile somebody to God if you don't know Him yourself and know how to walk in the light of His presence? If you're, if you're ministering outside of that, you're reconciling that person with your brand and idea and ministry of what you think Jesus to be rather than the very person of Christ himself. 
And so we're so quick to just pray whatever we want to pray, prophesy whatever we want to prophesy. I just feel this. I just feel that. We need to stop and not be in a rush to have the next word, not be in a rush to have the prayer that's going to change everything, and not to be in a rush for all of this, but rather to be listening and obedient to Holy Spirit so that it's Him who moves. Why am I saying this? Listen to this, verse 20. But understand this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of or comes from one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. He's saying, all these prophetic words that I've just told you have been confirmed, that are made certain. We were eyewitnesses. Jesus has come. All those prophetic words, they were not just given lightly or loosely. They were not just because somebody had a, a feeling to make a prophetic word. No, these were men moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke on behalf of God. So if, if, that's, if that's what's been training us in the prophetic, I'm just going here for a second. If that's what's been training us in the prophetic, then why are we so quick and careless to just release and say stuff and think we're so ministry obsessed that we are sometimes missing the full expression of what God wants to bring in a moment because what we've done is we've become a people of ministry before we've become a people of His presence. When you're a people of his presence, it's not just about the word of the Lord came to me. Well, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, and God still said, go and stand at the entrance of the cave and wait for my presence. And he came in different ways, and he waited, and he waited until he heard a sound, and he recognized the presence of the Lord, and he wrapped his face, and he came out. And the same word, God said the same thing, but in his presence. And it was in his presence that he received the word of the Lord, and he was commissioned. And he had the, the way forward. He had the steps forward. I'm hitting this because I'm so for ministry. I'm so for us, every single one of us, being kingdom-minded people that are taking the presence of Jesus everywhere that we go and bringing the ministry of reconciliation and seeing sons and daughters, lost sons and daughters come to know their father. I'm all about that. Just go back and listen to a few of my preachers. That's, I'm so for it. But I'm just cautioning us in this season to say we've got to be careful that we are not so quick to go after ministry that we miss his presence. And, and when I say ministry, I'm not just talking about uh, in the context of the church, whether it's ministering to your wife or to your children or whether it's in the workplace. It's everything that we are and that we represent. Let it come from His presence. Let it come from this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen and obey. See, in that place, insecurity falls off of our lives because it's no longer for recognition or approval from man. It's literally just surrender to Jesus. In that place, it's not so much about what I'm actually doing. It's just about, am I listening? Am I obeying? You know, sometimes we think, I'm just in a season of seeking the Lord. We seek the Lord for a day or two, and then we get frustrated that we haven't heard anything. And then I read my Bible, and I see days and days and sometimes months and sometimes years of people seeking the Lord, waiting to hear from them. Now, I'm not making that a formula to say, hey, we need to wait for years before you do anything. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, do you see the posture of the heart of somebody who surrendered and yielded to the Lord? It's, I'm after your presence. So where your presence is, that's where I'll abide, and I will listen, and I'll obey. And so when you speak, I'll act. Is that okay? Awesome. So I'm saying this because a familiar spirit, 
when we begin to become too casual um, with where we're going and what we're about. It's one of the hardest things to recognize and notice in our, in our own way. Because it's, it has, it's often not to do with the intention of your heart. It's just to do with the, the, what's filling your gaze, what you're looking at. So, so quickly, when we stop looking at Jesus and we begin to look at ourselves or ministry or people or anything other than Jesus, it's like just, we just move, as my mom was praying that this morning, we don't want to move just off of true north. Because it might seem like, you know, it's kind of in the same direction now, but you're actually going in a total different direction. And before you know it, you're nowhere near where you actually thought God was taking you. Does that make sense? Or where God wanted to take you is what I'm trying to say. And so we've got to be careful that we don't be a people who are quick to learn a language, quick to pick up the lingo of the next trend in the church and the next thing that God's doing. And, whoa, you know, at one stage it was about weeping. And now the joy of the Lord's hit the church. And so let's just pick up the new trend and move on. Or, or it was joy and now it's weeping. Or, and then we get stuck when change comes. Change comes. God says, I'm doing a new thing. And it's like, oh, I'm struggling with the new thing. I don't really know how to fit into the new thing. All of that has to do with us looking at ourselves. It's just, let's just be real, all of us. Change is difficult because you're looking at yourself. When you're beholding Jesus, you are yielded like clay on the potter's wheel just to say, Lord, I'm just spinning on your wheel here. You just mold me, shape me, do what you want to do. See, there's a, there's a key truth that we need to live by, and this, this needs to be built. It should be built uh, in the foundation of our life. You were not created for yourself, nor were you even created for others. You were created for Him. And so when He uses you to touch other people's lives, it's for His glory. See, we're obsessed with ministry when we think that I was created to minister to others. You were created to minister to God. And when God decides that ministering to Him looks like loving somebody else, that's for His glory. Everything is flowing from what? The revelation of Jesus and His presence in our lives. Everything that we do all for His glory. And then it's beautiful because He can put you in front of thousands and then He can take you and hide you and you wouldn't even be moved or shaken. He can give you that crazy business deal that takes you into abundance and then you can have nothing for months, but you're not moved. So quickly do we shift to, I've come to church to see what Jesus is going to do for me in the season that I'm in. And it's not even the thing of a bad intention of your heart. It's what you're looking at. Do you get me? I don't believe Christians come to church with a sour heart. Like, I don't really care if Jesus is worthy. What's he going to do for me? Nobody does that. People come to church, but they're looking at their brokenness. They're looking at their lives. They're looking at the things that they've been struggling with. And so when they come to church, that's the perspective. When they come to a gathering or they're being discipled, that's the perspective as well. I'm just in a tough place and what God's going to do, what is he going to do for me? How is he going to fix this? But when you're actually beholding Jesus and you're a people of his presence, it has nothing to do with temporary situations. It has everything to do with the worthiness, the beauty, and the majesty of Jesus. And I'm obsessed with the Shekinah glory. I'm obsessed with the voice of the Father that speaks over Jesus and through Jesus into me. And that what he says about his son, he says about me. And so when I live in that place, then I just want to listen and obey. Because I'm living for him anyway. And so whatever he wants to do, he can do it. And my life has become like clay in his hands. And so when we talk about keeping the tenderness of our hearts, that's what we're talking about. You know, we don't want to be callous and dull and hard of heart because we're selfish. We want to be tender before the Lord and, and like clay so that he can shape us and mold us the way that he wants to. 
So I'm sharing this today because I, I'm so excited about what's happening and where the Lord's taking us as a church. But I just think it's so important that we make sure that the, the simple gospel and the foundations of who we are, what we're about, and how we live our lives are, are, are built well into our hearts and lives. Because otherwise, the glory will crush you. Because when he comes, and I'm not saying that God's not, he's not here to crush you. What I'm saying is the weight of his glory, when it comes, if you're looking at yourself, there is nothing else that stands in his glory. When you're like putty, like clay before him, and your, your life is just given to him completely, then when the Shekinah glory of God is tangible and comes, whether it's in a gathering or in your bedroom or whatever, you can actually stand in his presence because you're in Christ. We don't want to live our lives professing to be in Christ, but actually really standing on our own two feet in our own struggles and lives and problems and, and, and hoping that somehow God's going to just do something when the reality is he already did. He already did. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Father, I just thank you. I thank you for your goodness, your faithfulness in our lives. And I really do ask, Lord, I, I'm not sure if I'm making sense this morning, but I, I do hope that you would touch our hearts, minister to, us, minister to us, Lord, that we would not be quick to go to our defaults, not be quick to fall back to what we're comfortable with, what we know, that we would not be trying to contain something that is way bigger than anything we could even attempt to contain, but that we would abide that we would be a people of your presence. Lord, I, I speak to every heart today, and I, I speak the security of his presence, the surety of his presence, the certainty of his presence, that we don't need certainty in anything other than him, because it doesn't even matter if he gave you everything you've desired. If his presence does not go with you, it's not worth it. And so the reality is it doesn't matter the call on your life. It doesn't matter the abundance that he's promised you or the business deal that he's about to give you or the breakthrough in that relationship or all of that is beautiful. God's given it to you. He's going to bless you. He's going to touch you. But without his presence, it's nothing. And I ask this morning, Lord, that you make us a people of your presence, that you make us a people that are yielded and abiding in your voice, that will listen and that will obey, that will not be consumed by everything else. Lord, that we will not be running around trying to do this in our own strength, but we would be a community that has fallen so deeply in love with Jesus that you have possessed every motive, every desire, every longing, every emotion, every thought, every song, every sermon, every uh, coffee time with uh, the believers, every dinner, every uh, marriage, and every child, Lord Jesus, that you would so fill and permeate and possess your family, your body, Lord Jesus, that we would be so surrendered, that we would live our lives in submissive wonder before the King, and that we truly would be a bride, that we would operate as your body.